this morning, wow, we are going to study what I call Paul's system of truth or Paul's revelation. So it doesn't sound too big and won't take too long, which you probably could do a few months on it, but I'm going to endeavor to give it to you in just about 30 or 40 minutes. How many of y'all can handle that? All right. Open your Bible to Romans chapter 6, verse 17. Romans chapter 6, verse 17. And some of the most powerful chapters in the Bible are in the book of Romans. Romans chapter 5, Romans chapter 6, and Romans chapter 6 and verse 17. Kind of an unusual scripture, but we're going to look at it because I don't believe God puts unnecessary things in His Word. If He put it in there, it must be something we're supposed to know. Amen. So Romans chapter 6 and verse 17, uh, the Apostle Paul here speaking says, But God be thanked that you were the servants of sin, but you've obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine which was delivered you. And being then made free from sin, you became the servants of righteousness. So notice what Paul says here. He says, Thank God that you were slaves or bound by sin and the results of sin. He says, but you have obeyed from your heart that form of doctrine that was delivered to you. So if you have a Bible there in the King James, it says a form of doctrine. And so rather than getting all upset at the word doctrine and thinking it's something real complex, actually Weymouth translation says it this way, you obeyed from your heart that system of truth in which you were instructed that system of truth in which you were instructed. He said, and that system of truth sets you free from the power of sin and the power of Satan, and now you are serving the Lord free. Amen? So what is that system of truth? So we'd call it Paul's system of truth is what we call it. The Apostle Paul, his system of truth. First of all, what is a system? A, si a system is just simply uh, a group of interacting items that are interdependent upon each one for the whole to work right. So if it be a system, that means you have what in your body? You have a digestive sy system. That means that, that your, your, your chewing does one thing, your stomach does something else, and so different parts of your body and your digest digestive system. And in the universe, you have what's called the solar system. Well, in the Bible, you have what we call Paul's system system of truth. Now, what is that system of truth? And I'm going to give it to you, eight points in Paul's system of truth concerning Paul's letters, or what we call Paul's revelation. So let me give you this quote real quickly here. This came from a guy by the name of P.C. Nelson, who wrote Bible doctrines for the whole denomination of the Assemblies of God, and fluent in 32 different languages, Greek and Hebrew scholar. And here's what P.C. Nelson said. He said, no great preacher has arisen to bless the people of God who has not lighted his torch at the flame kindled by Paul. He said, whole sermons may be found in separate words, whole volumes in single sentences. Even after 2,000 years, Paul is preaching every week in 1,000 languages in 100,000 pulpits all over the world. <laughs> in other words, after 2,000 years all over the world in a thousand different languages, there are preachers quoting this guy, the Apostle Paul. Hmm. Wonder if anybody be quoting you after you go on. Anyway, so <laughs> here's what one writer said. <laughs> one, one of my favorite quotes, you know, because I like to quote different guys. What that Yogi Berra, you know, the, he's got the funny quotes, you know, and one of his funny quotes is like, um, uh, if somebody asks you what time it is, you say, you mean right now? 
And um, one of his funny quotes is, uh, if you don't go to other people's funerals, they won't come to yours. And he said, when you get to a fork in the road, take it. Anyway, he's got a, funny, a, lot, of, a lot of funny little things, just his sayings, Yogi Bear. But one of my other favorite ones is by Will Rogers. Y'all know Will Rogers, Oklahoma cowboy guy. So Will Rogers, one of my favorite quotes from him is, uh, never miss a good chance to shut up. <laughs> so we don't actually have to say that in our family. We just say, remember Will Rogers. So anyway, so... Uh, there's a lot of people with a lot of different quotes, but there's something about Paul's revelation and his letters that after 2,000 years, people are still quoting what we would call the gospel of Christ from what we call Paul's revelation. And that would be in Romans, Corinthians, Galatians, Ephesians, Colossians, in Paul's letters. Most people enjoy reading the Psalms the best, or the Proverbs the best, or most people enjoy reading the Gospel of John the best. But once you understand Paul's letters, here's what P.C. Nelson said about Paul's letters. He said, the Apostle Paul's letters are the advanced teachings of the Lord Jesus Christ. The advanced teachings of the Lord Jesus Christ are, he said, Paul's letters contain the thoughts that Jesus carried away from this world unuttered. What does that mean? That means Jesus said in the four Gospels, he said, I've got many things to tell you I cannot tell you now. He said, because they're too difficult for you to understand. He said, but after I go away, I'm going to send the Holy Spirit, and he's going to tell you some stuff. What's the Holy Spirit going to do? Well, the Holy Spirit's going to tell you things that happen in the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ, things that Jesus could not explain his death before it happened. So the explanation comes after his resurrection, and the explainer is primarily a man by the name of the Apostle Paul. So if you want to understand what we call Paul's system of truth or Paul's revelation, then you've got to read Romans, Corinthians, Galatians, Ephesians, and Colossians. Now I'm going to show you how it's easy to access what we call Paul's system of truth. Now, in his system of truth, there's eight points. Now, I'm going to give you all eight points. There's no way I can cover all of them today, but I'm going to give you all eight points of Paul's system of truth that they are all connected and they all work together for you to see what Jesus has done for you and bring application to it. So let me give them to you real quickly, all right? And you pray that I don't stop at each one right now. Number one, Number one in Paul's system of truth is he gives us definition of what man is. The greatest definition of what man is or mankind is, is Paul tells you man is made up of three parts, our uh, spirit, soul, and body. In other words, you're made up of three parts. You are a spirit made in the image of God. You have a soul, which is your mind, your will, your emotions, and you are living in a body but you're not just a body. You're not just an intellect or a mind or an emotion, but you are a spirit. And in Paul's letters, he uses the word spirit. On that word is the word pneuma, the Greek word pneuma. So if you'll study theologians, they'll say, we uh, like the Apostle Paul, but we cannot understand his teachings. We know what the body is, which the Greek word is soma. We know what the mind is, which is the word psyche, but we don't know what the Numa is. 
But it seems like Paul talks about the pneuma, that the Spirit of God, the pneuma of God bears witness with our spirit that man is not an animal, he's not a plant, he belongs to a whole different class of being. That man was made in the image of God, a shade lower than God himself. Now, when I was in high school, I had a, a, a teacher, you know, and, uh, in biology class, and my high school teacher, he said, now there's two kinds of living things, two kinds of living things, primarily two kinds. There's plants and there's animals. He said, in the plant kingdom, you have plant life. In the animal kingdom, you have animal life. So he said, all living things are in these two major categories, either they're plants or animals. So he asked the class, he said, which one of y'all, how many of y'all are plants? Nobody raised their hand. How many of y'all are animals? Well, he kept on with that argument until he got everyone in the class to raise their hand that they were animals. So if you're not a plant, all living things are either plants or animals. So if you're not a plant, you must be an animal. So he got everybody to raise their hand on animals, except for me. I wouldn't raise my hand. So he was irritated at that. So he said, Mr. Hankins, what are you? You ain't a plant. You're not an animal. What are you? And I said, I am a spirit made in the image of God, made a shade lower than God himself. He went, ah, ah, we're not talking about religion. I said, I'm not talking about religion either, just the facts. Y'all still here? In other words, most people don't even know what they are, and education will try to put you in some natural animal kingdom, but actually, uh, in the animal kingdom, you have what? Animal life, but Jesus said, I came to give you the God kind of life, which brings you into the kingdom of God, which means as a spirit being, God created you with the capacity to know him and walk with him and receive from him, and God is a new. I call him Papa Numa, <laughs> Big Numa. And Papa Numa had kids. So what would that mean? He had little Numas, right? And that's what you is. In other words, you have the same quality. You just don't have the same capacity as God. God made you in his own image. And the reason Jesus came is to bring that life, spirit life, spiritual life, Numa life, the God kind of life, into your inner man, which brings you right into the realm of God. So Paul tells you three things. Number one, man is a spirit. Number two, he has what? A soul, a mind. And number three, he does what? He stands in a body. But when Paul said this, he said, when I'm absent from my body, I'm present with the Lord. What does that mean? That means you're not a body. Even when they put your body in a casket, you ain't there. You ain't even going to show up for your own funeral. So I'm just telling you. <laughs> your, your body's laying there, come on, but you, the real you, your spirit is present with the Lord. And when your heart beats its last beat on this planet, your spirit, your inward man will come out of your body. And most say by experience, people that have studied it, that when you die, your spirit comes out of your mouth and ascends. And if you've made Jesus your Lord, you have eternal life. You are escorted by angels right into heaven itself, into the third heaven. And when you die, death itself is painless when you know Jesus as your Lord. It is only a transition. And that means the real you, the inward man, your spirit man, will leave your body, whoop, 
and you're just as alive. That means you're not floating around having a little blob somewhere. How would you recognize other people's blob? In other words, you look the same outside of your body as you do in your body. In case you're discouraged about that, you will be better looking. So now, <laughs> but man is, number one, what? A spirit. That means you've got certain spiritual capacities, and that means you can never be happy just with a cheeseburger feeding your body. And you can never be happy just with information for your intellect or emotional entertainment. Your spirit was created to fellowship with God. And God literally has given you spiritual life, eternal life, and he's given you the Holy Spirit, and you didn't even have to wait until you go to heaven. Right now, in your spirit, he's given you the very spirit of God to dwell on the inside of you. So he says the Holy Spirit, which we would call the Holy Spirit, the Holy Numa, capital S, bears witness with your Numa, your spirit, so you know you're a child of God. So there's three different departments of you, in case you're confused. You say, I'd like to know who's talking now. So the problem is your body can talk to you. Come on. And your intellect, your mind can talk to you. But did you know your spirit, the real you, also has a voice? And your spirit can talk to you, and the Holy Spirit on the inside of you can give you guidance in life that supersedes what you would call sense knowledge or natural information. Thank God for the Holy Spirit. So number one, the Apostle Paul tells you more about what man is, mankind is, spirit, soul, and body, more than any writer in the Bible. And he tells you the function of each three and exactly what each three do. And he even tells you the conflict between the three when you make Jesus Christ the Lord of your life. That even though you're saved, your body still may have some other desires and appetites, but your spirit has eternal life. Amen? So he tells you those three things. Everybody say, I'm a spirit, I have a soul, and I'm standing in this body. I'm not a plant, and I'm not an animal. I'm made in the image of God. Amen? So number one is man is a spirit, has a soul, lives in a body. That tells you what man is. So that means you're going to have to, like in a transparency, you'll have to lay this information over all eight points. Number one, spirit, soul, and body. Number two is what we call identification with Adam. Identification with Adam. What does that mean? That simply means that Paul uses Adam's name more than any other writer in the Bible. Paul uses Adam's name more than any other writer in the Bible. <laughs> That's interesting, isn't it? It's really not until you get to Paul's revelation you have any explanation of who Adam was and what Adam did. In other words, here's what Paul says. Paul says that the whole Bible is about two men. The whole Bible is about two men. If you don't understand these two men, you'll never understand the Bible. The first is what we call the first Adam, and then Jesus Christ is called the last Adam. All right? Adam, in Paul's letters, is called the old man, and Christ, in Paul's letters, is called the new man. Aha. So your first birth puts you in Adam, and in Adam you had to share his condition and his inheritance and what came from Adam. But the moment you make Jesus the Lord of your life, now you become a new creature in Christ, and you're a new man, and now you're in him, and you're in the last Adam. So that means you get 
new conditions and a new inheritance that comes from Jesus Christ. So the whole Bible is about what? Two men. First Adam, last Adam. But I grew up in church. I grew up in Sunday school. And man, we're studying about, you know, Abraham. And we're studying about Moses. And we're studying about Noah. Come on. We're studying about David and Goliath and Daniel and the lion's den. I studied all those stories. But I never really understood the Bible until I found out the whole Bible is about two men. Adam and Christ. In other words, the first man, Adam, was a failure. So the second man, or the last Adam, God himself got in a body to make a new creation that could not fail. Amen. All right, let's try that again. I said the first Adam was what? A failure, and he sinned. And so God personally sent his son, and Jesus became a man, not for one human generation, but throughout eternity. He's son of God, son of man, and he got in a body to make a new kind of human, a new kind of man that never existed before. And he provided that through the cross, through his death, through his burial, and through his resurrection, and through his blood. Everything that Jesus did, he did it for us, set to the credit of our account. Now, here's what Paul says in his letters, Romans chapter 5. He says this, one man, Adam, got us in this mess. <laughs> one man. It's amazing what one man can do, right? One man, Adam, right, got us in this mess. In other words, you were not born in the condition that Adam was created in. You were born in the condition that he passed to. So Adam was what you'd call the prototype of humanity. In other words, we have procreation. That means that God created one man and the whole human race came out of him. So when he fell and when he sinned, that condition was passed to the whole human race. Right? And somebody might say, well, that's not fair that I was born in a condition that someone else made a choice and that David said, I was born in iniquity. I was born and conceived in sin. In other words, I came into a world that there's a curse in this world. That's really not fair. But listen close. The same law that allowed one man's sin to mess up every man is the same law that allowed one man, Jesus Christ, now to redeem every man. If you ever wondered why one man on the cross could pay the price for every man, it's because one man got us in this mess. And one man, whoo, I said one man, Jesus Christ, got us out. He paid the penalty on the cross. And when he was raised from the dead, he's called the firstborn from the dead are the last Adam, or he's the prototype of the new creation. Or you could say it this way, God put into Christ everything he wanted the new creation to be. A new life, a new joy, a new love, and all that comes from Jesus Christ. And it really don't come from anywhere else, just from Jesus. Amen? All right? So, number one is what? Spirit, soul, and body. What's number two? Identification with Adam. In other words, one man affected Every man, your identity and your identification with one man. Or you could say it this way, uh, God's work in Christ far exceeds any damage done to us by Adam's fall. All right, we're going to go over that one again. One man got us in this mess. How bad was the damage? How bad was it? This brings us to point number three. What's point number three? Point number three is what is man's condition in Adam? 
What is man's condition? Why is it important to understand that? Because Paul describes and defines man's condition in Adam with such detail. Why does he do that? Because if you don't understand man's condition in Adam, then you will not understand the necessity of the crucifixion of Christ. If you don't understand man's condition in Adam, then you'll think man can be fixed or man can be rehabilitated or man, all man needs is some money or all man needs is an education. But when you understand man's condition, what he has fallen to, then you'll understand why Jesus Christ was crucified and why his death happened the way it happened. In other words, Jesus was not a martyr. He was a substitute and he took the penalty for our sin. Why was it so terrible? Because man's condition in Adam could not be rehabbed. It could not be fixed. There ain't no way you can put a Band-Aid over it. You're just going to have to go to God and let the blood of Jesus cleanse you and make you a new creation. Amen. So number one is what? Spirit, soul, and body. Wow. Well, I got to keep moving. All right. Number one is what? Spirit, soul, and body. Everybody say, I'm a spirit. I have a soul. I'm just standing in this body. Number two is what? Identification with Adam. One man got us in this mess. Be like the teenager that told his daddy. He said, well, I didn't ask to be born. His daddy said, well, if you'd asked, we'd have said no. So, <laughs> so sometimes the frustration that you have Come on, that you're born with certain weaknesses and certain problems, and you almost want to blame God for that. What Paul is saying, don't blame God, blame Adam. If you want to get out of it, see Jesus. All right, thank you for your enthusiasm. I said, don't get mad at God. He said, well, he made me this way. No, Adam's sin made you that way. But if you want to get out of it, you'll have to go to the cross through the blood of Jesus. He's your redeemer. Amen? So, uh, spirit, soul, and body, identification with Adam. Number three is what? Man's condition in Adam. In other words, spiritually dead, separated from God. But not only separated from God, he now is a victim of unseen powers, which the Apostle Paul calls devils and demons and evil spirits. In other words, Paul said, we don't wrestle with flesh and blood. He said, but in the atmosphere here, y'all still here with me? In the atmosphere, he said, there's principalities and powers and rulers of the darkness of this world and spiritual wickedness that operate and control nations and control cities and control families. He said, it's not just a people problem now. Now you've got someone that's influencing and controlling man that is greater than any man. And he talks about Satan and Satan's kingdom. That means that you have an adversary, the devil, and you can never bring a knife to a gunfight. That means if you're going to deal with the devil, you can't talk him out. You can't educate him out. But if you come through the name of Jesus and the blood of Jesus, that'll break every fear, every shame, every guilt, every controlling, dominating addiction in your life when you come in the name of Jesus, because it's not just a man problem now. Now, man under the dominion of Satan himself. So his condition is more serious. You can't cure it at college. Matter of fact, it could get worse at college. I don't want to bring up your college, but I'm telling you, it could get worse. Y'all still here? Because there's not a lot of professors talking about Jesus in college. So your faith could be destroyed in a university. 
Come on, in a state-run university, you better be strong in faith because professors will try to talk you out of your faith in Jesus Christ and try to act like, well, you're a plant, you're an animal. You say, I ain't no plant, I ain't no animal. Let me just tell you what I am. All right, now, I got to keep moving. So, uh, what is man's condition? Now, that's a whole subject in itself. Number three. Now, number four, Paul says number three. Number four is what we call what happened from the cross to the throne, or what happened in the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. What happened to Jesus? Why was that necessary? How does that save us? How does that redeem us? What happened on the cross? And so Paul tells you what happened on the cross in the death of Christ. Let me give it to you real quickly here. Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5, 21, he says that God made Jesus to be sin for us who knew no sin that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. In other words, a man who could never in himself produce this kind of righteousness, Jesus on the cross was made to be sin for us. Now think about it. When he was made to be sin for us, he also took everything sin produced. When he was made to be sin, he was treated as a sinner, even though he had no sin of his own, he took our sin. And it says, Christ, Galatians 3.13, redeemed us from the curse of the law. He was made a curse for us. Come on, for it is written, cursed is everyone that hangs on a tree, that the blessing of Abraham might come upon the Gentiles through Jesus Christ. In other words, on the cross, Jesus was made to be sin. He took our sickness. He took our shame. He took our poverty. He took our death. He took our place. He took everything sin produced. And in exchange, he gave you the gift of the righteousness of God. Hallelujah. What happened in the death and resurrection of Christ? That means this. In the light of what we call the gospel of Christ, of what happened through the blood of Jesus, through the death of Christ, and through his triumph and through his resurrection. <laughs> what happened? Ah, all right, let's look at it this way. What happened? Let's say it this way. Y'all still here? Yeah, that's God preacher said, if y'all ever quit listening before I quit talking, please let me know. So, what happened? <laughs> What happened on the cross? Now, listen close. Because in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, we have what we call the four Gospels. Four Gospels. So the four Gospels, listen close, we see the teachings of Jesus, right? But Jesus did not come primarily to teach. We see the teachings of Jesus, but listen, Every religion offers lessons or teaching. So Jesus didn't come primarily to teach. He came to do what? He said, for this hour I came. He came to go to the cross, to be our substitute, to die in our place. He said, this is the main event of my life. He didn't come just to teach because every religion offers lessons, but only Jesus Christ gives you eternal life. Amen. How did he produce that? Through his death, through his burial, through his resurrection, every religion, Hindus and Buddhists, love the teachings of Jesus. But when it comes to the redeeming power of his blood, his death, his burial, and his resurrection, that's the center of Christianity. So you can receive Jesus as a teacher, but you're only saved when you receive him 
as your Lord. Amen. Jesus is Lord. No other man, no other name, no other way that man can be saved except through the blood of Jesus. What happened in the four Gospels is you see a disproportionate amount of space given to the events. What we would call, if you've ever been to Israel, they would call that the Via Dolorosa. That would be called the stations of the cross are the places of his suffering where he was beaten on the way to the cross, the Via Dolorosa. And in the four Gospels, a disproportionate amount of space is given to the events that lead up to the cross. What happened and what happened when he's raised from the dead? 500 witnesses saw him after he's raised from the dead. So, wow. If you study that in the four Gospels, here's what you see. You see what man saw in the crucifixion, death, and resurrection of Christ. But in Paul's letters, why is Paul's letters necessary? Romans, Corinthians, Galatians, Ephesians, he got all that after the resurrection of Christ. That means he was not in the teaching session with Jesus. All right, let me try that again. I said he, Paul was not in the teaching sessions of Jesus. What does that mean? That means you are not at a disadvantage in knowing Christ, even though you never walked with him on the shores of Galilee. That means you can know Jesus just as well as Paul or Peter, James or John today by the power of the Holy Spirit. Come on, he walk with you. You want to follow Jesus? You want to walk with Jesus, man? All right, let's see if we can get back to this system real quick. <laughs> the four Gospels tell you what happened to Christ. In his death, burial, and resurrection. But the epistles are Paul's letters tell you what happened in Christ. Now listen close. The four gospels you see what man saw, but in Paul's letters you see what God saw. All right, let's go back over here. In the four gospels you see what happened in the seen realm. In Paul's letters he tells you what happened in the unseen realm. Or Paul tells you what happened in the spirit. Or Paul tells you not only what God saw, he tells you what the devil saw. What did the devil see in the resurrection of Christ? <laughs> Paul says in Colossians 2.15 that in the resurrection of Christ, Jesus spoiled principalities and powers. He made a show of them openly, triumphing over them in himself. The word triumph means he had a parade through downtown eternity and he exposed the devil and every demon, every spirit of fear, every spirit of infirmity, every depression, every dark cloud that would hang over your head. Come on now. Every, every evening bad news report, every murder, everything, everything that would come against your life. Jesus spoiled principalities and power. He made a show of them what? Openly. What does that mean? He made a public display in his triumph that Satan can no longer dominate any person in the human race that comes to Jesus Christ. He made a show. That means this was not done in, in secret somewhere. I like to say it this way. The devil knows more about his defeat than most Christians. You say, why? Because he was there. All you got to do is just bring it up and say, uh, you ever heard of Jesus? All right, get your behind out of here. Now, in other words, you, in the name of Jesus, demons tremble and they flee because of his triumph. He is Lord. 
He said, I am he that liveth. I was dead. I'm alive forevermore. I got the keys of death, hell, and the grave. In other words, something happened in his death and resurrection. Something happened that the natural eye did not see. But Paul tells you what happened. I don't want anybody to get mad at me, but if you do, just take a number and get in line. So, my daddy always said, if they run you out of town, get out front and make it look like a parade. So, uh, in the gospel, Paul, <laughs> uh, here, here's kind of the way the joke goes, all right? Uh, this man, he walks into a pet store. He walked into a pet store, he and his wife. And they got a parrot out there in a cage at the entry of the pet store. And the, the, the parrot says, hey, mister. And the guy says, what? The parrot says, your wife is the dumbest, stupidest looking woman I have ever seen. He said, how dare you insult my wife? And his wife. So he goes and gets the store manager. He tells him what the parrot said. He said, your parrot insulted my wife. He said, my wife is the dumbest, stupidest looking woman that he'd ever seen. Boy, the store manager grabbed that parrot out of the cage, slapped him across the beak, you know, pulled out a few feathers, threw him back in the cage and said, don't you ever insult another one of my customers. A few minutes, the man and his wife were walking out of the store. The parrot said, hey, mister. The man said, what? He said, you know what. <laughs> so all you got to do is say, hey, devil. He says, what? You say, you know what? Jesus spoiled and stripped and defeated you, and Jesus is Lord. In other words, Jesus did this publicly and exposed Satan as shattered, empty, and defeated, and he gave you the authority in his name. But if you are silent, if you're ignorant, he'll take advantage of your ignorance and beat you up and your kids and your grandkids. But the moment the gospel of Jesus Christ comes into your family, you'll say, in the name of Jesus, Satan will not dominate my family, my life. In the name of Jesus, I am redeemed by his blood. Come on now. He changes your whole family. He makes you a new kind of person that never existed before. When you was mean and ugly, come on now. He puts his love nature on the inside of you. You even talk nice to your wife now. Look at somebody and say, that would be a miracle. Now, you talk nice to your husband. In other words, God's love nature. He makes you a new creature. Amen. Makes you a new creation. Yeah. Amen. Amen. So God's work in Christ. So in the four Gospels, what do you see? You see what man saw. In Paul's letters, what do you see? You see what God saw. All right, I like to say it this way. Four Gospels are a photograph of redemption. Paul's letters are an x-ray. What does that mean? Well, same picture, just different kind of picture. Same picture. Like, I could see a photograph of you, and I'd say, yeah, I know what I got. But if I saw an x-ray of you, I might not recognize you. I'd go, uh, I'm not sure if I ever met them before. <laughs> Does that mean that's not you? No, it's you, but it's x-ray. What's the x-ray see? An x-ray sees what? Inside of you but it's still you. So in Paul's letters, 
God gave him insight into what happened in Christ. In him. In other words, you're not just a body. So what happens when you make Jesus the Lord of your life? Your inner man, your spirit receives eternal life. Something on the inside of you changes. Your spirit is joined to Christ. So point number four is what? Oh, y'all lost me already, didn't you? Point number one is what? Man is a spirit, has a soul, lives in body. Number two is what? Identification with Adam. Number three is what? This is like an open book test. Man's condition in Adam. Number four is what? What happened? How many of you ever seen something you went, what happened? Well, that's why you can't get through traffic, you know. Somebody have an accident and everybody's like, what happened? <laughs> well, when you look at the cross of Christ, you need to know what? What happened? Jesus raised from the dead. What? What happened? <laughs> Something happened in the scene. Something happened in the unseen. All right? That's number four. Now, number five. Here's number five. Y'all ready for number five? Apparently not. All right? Number five is identification with Christ. <laughs> yeah, nope. All right. Identification with Christ. Now, here's the problem with identification. Huh. The word identification means to consider and treat as one and the same, connected to the word identity, or connected to the word identical, or identified. Now, if you're going to fly anywhere in the United States, and definitely overseas, they're going to ask you for what? You got any identification? And you can say, well, I'm standing right here. Can't you see me? No. Now, what they want is what? A legal form of identification. So if you're going international, you always have to have a passport. All right? And with that passport, come on, you've got your birth certificate, you've got your passport. And what you're saying when you hold up that pa passport is you're saying, this person and this person are one and the same. This is my identification. Your identification with Christ. Woo! Praise the Lord. Y'all still with me? Your identification with Christ means that Jesus on the cross took your identical condition. He was identified with you. So that Paul says, everything God did in Christ, he did it for you, set to the credit of your account, just like you were there. Matter of fact, in Christianity, there's what we call two ordinances. One is called water baptism, and the other one is called the Lord's Supper or communion. Whenever you are baptized in water, what are you doing? You say, I'm getting wet. Yeah, you are getting wet, but what happens when you're baptized in water? You're showing your identification with Christ in his death, in his burial, and in his resurrection. What's the other ordinance? In Christianity, we do communion. What is communion? That means when you take the cup, when you take the bread, it is his body. It is his blood. You're showing your identification with Christ when you take communion. In other words, you're saying, devil, you can't defeat me any more than you can defeat Jesus Christ because I'm identified with him. I'm in him. So in Paul's letters, he talks about your identification with Christ, and he says, you were crucified with him, <laughs> right? You were crucified with him, you died with him, you're buried with him, you're made alive with him, you're raised up with him. In other words, you've got to find yourself 
in the death, burial, resurrection of Christ. Because everything Jesus did, he did it for who? Everybody say, he did it for me. Set to the credit of my account, just like I did it, which means I was there. So write down Galatians 2.20. Are you ready? Can you put Galatians 2.20 up there? Paul says, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. Now, don't use the NKJV. If you can, use the KJV, the one that Paul used. But use a KJV, and then we'll go to another translation. I am what? Well, how could Paul say that? He wasn't even in Jerusalem when Jesus crucified. So either he's lying, come on now, or he's a looney tune or something. But he said he was crucified with Christ. But if you study the four Gospels, Jesus was on the middle cross. There's a thief on one side and a thief on the other side. Where's Paul at? But Paul said he was there. Ah, now how did he get there? <laughs> you ever wonder if he was there? But the thing about it is Paul wasn't the only one that was there. You was there too. Why? Because one man got us in the mess. One man got us out. Everything Jesus did, he did it as our substitute. We were identified with him. In other words, he's going to change your identity. Because the person you used to be, the old man, is crucified with Christ, is dead and gone. You're a new man, a new creation, a new kind of humanity. He said, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I. Let's read it out loud together. Everybody ready? I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. All right, now leave that up there a second. You don't have to find these translations. But the Message Bible says this. I identified myself completely with Jesus Christ. What does that mean, I identified myself completely with Jesus Christ? Here's what that means. That means my identity does not come from my skin. My identity <laughs> does not come from Ancestry.com. Come on. One of my uncles called me up. He said, I've been studying for two years, your, you know, our ancestry and, and all of our family. And he said, I've got some great news for you. He said, you're the 24th great, 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 great grandson of King Robert II of Scotland. I said, with that and five bucks, I could get me some at Starbucks. Listen, now, I told my wife if she had known that, she would have treated me better. Now, in other words, you can study who you are on Ancestry.com. Come on now. But you don't get your identity from your first birth. You've been born again. You're such a new person. You have to let God introduce you to your new self. In other words, if you get your identity from your experiences, psychology will call that three main influences. They'll call it genetic, psychic, and environmental determinism. In other words, genetic, you are what you are because of what your mama made you. Come on, psychic means you are what you are because of the way you think and what has happened to you or your experiences. And number three, environmentalist, it means you are what you are because you was raised a redneck. <laughs> That's why you got the four-wheel drive and the, and, the, and, and the deer rifle. Now, which is what I am, so I'm not criticizing. So, <laughs> I was raised in the country. So, <laughs> And so you get your identity, come on, from other influences that are, that are so uh, insignificant and yet control your life that people, come on, they'll, oh, I, I, come on, from television and movie stars, come on now, 
and friends that control your identity. And so the moment you see who you are in Jesus Christ, you say, no man made me what I am. No experience, no failure made me what I am. I'm washed in the blood of Jesus. I was crucified with Christ, and now Christ lives on the inside of me. He set me free. In other words, God's work in Christ far exceeds any damage done to you by Adam's fall. It don't matter what happened to you. What happened to Jesus is greater than whatever happened to you. Let me try that again. I didn't say, come on, that it did not determine your personality. You say, well, if you knew what happened to me, you know why I act the way I am. But let me tell you this. If you knew what happened to Jesus, he could set you free from whatever happened to you. His blood, his death, whoo, his death. Think about all the religions, even the devout Muslim. The devout Muslim's prayer is give me a death in which there is no life and give me a life in which there is no death. What the devout Muslim does not know is there's only one place that is available, and that is at the cross of Jesus Christ in his death and resurrection. God will give you a death in which there is no life, and he'll give you a life in which there is no death. So either you follow this and you follow Jesus or you follow the philosophies and the education of professors, come on now, and dead religions, or you go to Jesus Christ and he is alive and the power of the Holy Spirit. And you live in what we call the light, Paul's system of truth, the light of the gospel. Whoo! What time is it? I got a few more minutes? Y'all give me a few extra minutes. Praise the Lord. Good haircut. All right, now. So, <laughs> number five, did I do number five yet? All right. Number five is identification of Christ. Number six is what? Number six is who you are and what you have now in Christ or your identification with Christ. And don't be a victim of stolen identity. The devil try to put a label on you and say, that's just the way you are. You say, not by the blood of Jesus. That's not who I am. I am who God says I am. So there's 130 in Christ scriptures. 130. And there's 35 that will blow your mind on who you are in Christ. 35. A new creature. The righteousness of God in Christ. You just look a lot better in Christ than you do outside of him. Number six. Number seven. Number seven. I, I'm just about there. Doing pretty good. Y'all all right? Nobody hurting? All right, number seven is what? What Jesus is doing for us now at the right hand of God. All right, write that down. What Jesus is doing for us right now at the right hand of God. <laughs> you know, say, now what do you mean what's he doing? Well, each one of these is about a two or three week series, so just have mercy on me. What Jesus is doing for us now at the right hand of God, that means when Jesus was raised from the dead, he is not retired in heaven playing golf. <laughs> the Bible says he has entered a more excellent ministry. What's he doing now at the right hand of God? Number one, he is the head of the church, which is his body. Number two, he is the Lord of the new creation. If any man's in Christ, you're connected to the Lord Jesus Christ with the same life. Next, he is our high priest. 
What does it mean he's our high priest? Paul says in the book of Hebrews that he's touched with the feelings of our infirmities. What does that mean? He knows exactly how you feel every trial you've been through. It says he was tempted in all points like we are yet without sin. In other words, Jesus is touched with your feelings and your struggles and your weaknesses. Come on. Why? Because he went through the same struggle in all points. Everybody say, all points. What does that mean? That means you can't have no feeling he didn't have. You can't have no struggle he didn't go through. That means as our high priest, he identified with us, and he knows every struggle, every feeling, and maybe I don't know how you feel, but Jesus Christ knows how you feel. And when you talk to him, he don't act like, well, get over it, buddy. No, he, he knows exactly how you feel. He may tell you to get over it, but that won't be his first response. Listen, his first response is he knows exactly how you feel. He's tempted in all points and yet without sin. What does that mean? That means he overcame every temptation, every feeling, every emotion. So he tells us to hold fast to our confession of faith. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 14. Here's what that means. Your confession of faith that Jesus is Lord. So when people ask me how I'm feeling, here's what I say. I'm feeling the same way Jesus was feeling when he overcame this feeling. All right, let's try this out of here. In other words, he don't tell you to live by your feelings. You live by your faith. But people say, how are you feeling right now? Because you could have all different kinds of feelings. Some of them you can cure with a bowl of ice cream, but other ones have more serious problems. So <laughs> have you ever cured a couple of them with a bowl of ice cream? You say, give me some ice cream, buddy. I got a bad feeling. I'm fixing to fix it with a cinnamon roll. All right, now. But if you're controlled by your appetites and your feelings, come on now. All it would have taken is a cheeseburger to cure you. But you are not a body. Come on, the connection to all kinds of feelings and impulses that can control your life. But the blood of Jesus sets you free from that. So what is, what is your confession? I know I feel this way, but I'm feeling the same way Jesus was feeling. And he overcame this feeling. And when he overcame this feeling, I can overcome this feeling the same way he overcame that feeling. Because Jesus is my Lord. That means his present day ministry. Everybody say present day ministry. That means right now at the right hand of God. He is your high priest, touched with the feelings of your infirmity. And when you talk to him, he knows exactly every human experience, and he overcame it all. He's our advocate. What's that mean? That means he's your lawyer. He's never lost a case if he can get his client to listen to him. He's your advocate. He's your intercessor. What's that mean? Well, it's great to have your mama praying for you because my mama prayed for me a lot. I mean, I wouldn't be here if my mama wasn't praying for me. <laughs> but Jesus is your intercessor, the Bible says, at the right hand of God, and he is able to save you to the uttermost. That means this, no matter what struggle you're going through right now, Jesus is believing the best about you, pleading your case, and praying for you at the right hand of God. And out of his intercessory prayer, he'll connect other people, like Sister Sylvia, say, pray, and the Holy Ghost will help her pray, and she'll be praying for you. Yeah. Present day. Everybody say present day ministry. Present day. All right, number eight. This is the last one. Praise the Lord. Look at that. You survived. Number eight. Here's the last one. 
<laughs> I'm just resting a minute. All right, number eight. Here's the last one. Number eight is, all right, start with number one. What is number one? Man is a spirit, has a soul, lives in a body. You're not just a body. You're not just a mind. You are what? Spirit, pneuma, made in the image of God. Here's number eight. Number eight is how to grow spiritually. Just like for your body to grow right, you would have to have a proper appetite and proper diet, come on, and proper exercise. So Paul tells you in number eight, now that you're a new creature, you've been born again, here's how. Come on. Have you ever took a kid to the doctor and the doctor said, don't worry about that situation, they'll grow out of it. Paul said, I'm going to tell you how you can take the Word of God through the help of the Holy Spirit and through being in a local church, the ecclesia, that no matter what you are struggling with, you can grow out of it. I don't know. I don't know if you should really look at the person next to you or not and say, you can grow out of it. But just think about it. So you can grow out of that. In other words, your inner man can be strengthened and the Word can work in you in such a degree that those things and habits will no longer dominate your life. By how? The Word, renewing your mind, the power of the Holy Spirit, growing in the Word. Amen? This information, what we call Paul's revelation, we call it Paul's system of truth. Now let me give it to you this way and then I'll close. When you call it Paul's system of truth, Here's the way I understand it, because I uh, played football growing up in, in high school and school, played football. Well, I, we had a championship team in our high school. We actually went undefeated for four years in a row in South Texas. Several of our players went and played in the NFL. So we had a good team. We actually showed up planning to win. <laughs> well, we had a winning, uh, what do you call it, a winning Record, a winning, the program had a whole winning attitude, legacy, culture. What do they call it? Like for a football team, that, that, if you go to that school, like, let's say it this way. I know, I know you, I'm in Louisiana, and y'all may not like uh, Saban. Well, you know, it's just a job. He, and and he, he went for the more money, and so now he's in Alabama. And so we don't really care for that a lot. But whether you like it or not, Saban gets paid the way he gets paid because he is a phenomenal coach. Phenomenal coach. Probably the best or one of the best coaches. In other words, Saban can attract the best players, but Saban can even take an ordinary player, and because of his coaching system, he will plug an ordinary player into his coaching system, and he'll take that team to the championship almost every year. What's the difference? They call it his coaching system, right? And you could take that player out of Saban's system and put them in another team, and you'll never hear their name. 
Because once a player gets plugged into his system, he's got a winning culture and a system, come on, and a discipline that's going to take him. Every year, you'll see him at the championships. All right, in the NFL. My favorite example in the NFL is Belichick, the Patriots. What's the deal about Belichick? I don't know. But you're going to see that guy in the playoffs every year. And he can take an ordinary player. Come on, nobody else even picked Tom Brady. He can take an ordinary player, plug him into his what? Coaching system and take that team to the championship. In other words, he takes ordinary people, ordinary players, but once they get connected to his system. So most football commentators would say, Belichick is a genius. Right? What's he got? Over the years, he developed a coaching system. His defense, his offense. Take him to the championship. Come on. I know somebody said, well, they cheated. You know, they deflated the ball. Look, they still beat him by 21 points, and there's two pounds of air ain't going to make that big a difference. <laughs> you could deflate the ball on other NFL teams. They still wouldn't make it a championship. So, I mean, you could <laughs> give them a powder puff ball. They ain't going to make it. So, listen, his coaching system <laughs> He's always at the championship. So here's what the Apostle Paul did in what we call Paul's revelation. Is this revelation belongs to everybody? So if you were in Ephesus, Colossians, Corinthians, Galatians, any of those places, Paul preached the same system of truth. And he took ordinary people and plugged them in to a winning system. And once you got plugged into that system, what we call Paul's revelation, I always say this gospel, this revelation, this information will change a nation. This gospel, this revelation of who Christ is and what he's done and who you are in him will change what? A whole nation. Matter of fact, the devil is just as afraid of the gospel as he is of the resurrection of Christ. Because the message contains the same power as the events. Go ahead and smile. I said the message contains the same power as the events. What does that mean? That means the devil's just as afraid of the message as he is of the event. That's why in your family, in your home, come on, in this nation, or if I'm in Vietnam, or if I'm in Nepal, or if I'm in Ethiopia, the moment I bring them the gospel of Christ... This revelation will change that nation. That means the devil is just as afraid of the message as he is of the resurrection of Christ because the preaching of the gospel. And once you understand this information, come on. <laughs> I like to compare it to this. Once you understand this revelation, be like me going into, because I was just preaching Burma, Myanmar, and the secret on the street was that Myanmar now has the power for a nuclear bomb. In other words, they've got the substance, which is uh, uranium-235. In other words, you can't make an atomic bomb, a nuclear bomb, just out of anything, dirt. You've got to have uranium-235, right? Once you get the uranium-235, <laughs> one pound of it has more power than a million gallons of gasoline. Uranium-235. One pound, this size right here, can run a nuclear submarine or aircraft carrier for 25 years. This much. 
You're talking about some tremendous energy and power in uranium-235. Once you get it enriched, then it has the power where you can actually self-activate it so that in one, what they call a picosecond, you know what a picosecond is? I really don't know, but I just looked it up. A picosecond, you know what that is? Y'all know what a picosecond is? Maybe it's called a picosecond. P-I-C-O second. You know what that is? That's faster than you can blink your eye. You know what a picosecond is? Now you know. Write it down. A picosecond <laughs> is one millionth of a millionth of a second. Let's try this out over here. One millionth of a millionth of a second. In other words, in one million of millions of a second, you can activate uranium-235 and tremendous heat and power and energy is released in one million of a millionth of a second. That means in the gospel of Christ, in less than one million of a millionth of a second, when you declare Jesus as Lord and you're redeemed by his blood in a, a million of a million, faster than you can blink your eye, the power of God's available unto you. In other words, this information, whew, why do you need to have nuclear power? Because people just pay attention better when you got a bomb. I mean, if you don't have no nuclear bomb, they say, shut up. Come on. But the reason everybody pays attention when North Korea is talking is what? They got a nuclear bomb. Yeah, so everybody goes, what did he say? Is he saying stuff again? Why? Because he has what? Uranium-235. Enriched. He got a bomb. So what do we say? We got a bunch of them. <laughs> There'll be no evidence you ever existed if you don't shut up. Ha <laughs> uh. ha. Uh -huh. In Paul's system of truth, <laughs> the gospel of Christ is what? The power of God. Tremendous power. Through the blood of Jesus, the name of Jesus. And when you have revelation of this, whew, you're carrying. I'm carrying. That means you're carrying some power. Your family, your children, your grandchildren, a nation. That's why when you come into town, the devil knows what highway you came in on. Because you're carrying the gospel of Christ. There's a divine destiny for your life. And you'll never be happy till you follow God's plan for your life. You'll never be happy. Cheeseburgers can't make you happy. Come on, big houses can't make you happy. But your spirit in fellowship with Jesus Christ can make you happy. <laughs>